tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about how to really, we're primarily looking at how do you recruit high capacity leaders? What does that look like? Um, and, and, and to some degree, how do you keep them? But really tonight we're going to talk about how do you, how do you get those people? Um, I spent, I've been in ministry for, uh, 22 years. Uh, but I spent three years, mo- all of that, 19 of the 22 have been in full-time vocational ministry, paid staff at a church. Uh, but three years, I, I was helping start a church. And uh, of those three years, one of the years, I was the director of business operations for a minor league baseball team. And then I spent two years as a corporate recruiter. And um, I had to pay the bills working at, you know, I was volunteering at the church. And so I just had to get a job. And those jobs were so helpful for me in giving me insight for, for the future and helping, helping me, you know, lead a church and lead staff and things like that. And so um, when I was a, a headhunter, I worked in blue collar industries. I worked with um, warehouse and manufacturing. I worked in, um, I worked in, uh, um, oil and natural gas. And so there were, I I was talking to lots of CNC machinists. I was talking to lots of hiring managers and, um, and I was working with HR directors and I was working with job seekers. And so I really got a good feel for what this looks like on both ends. Uh, and so, so I, I love to be able to coach people who are looking for jobs and talk to them about some things they may be uh, needing to do. But it really helped me on the other side to know what I need to be looking for when I'm hiring staff and looking for staff. So again, uh, for you guys, I would say there is going to be application whether you're leading volunteers or whether you're leading uh, people that are paid but not people you've hired. I think there's still going to be application for you tonight. Um, And so just to let you know, um, there's three things that I look for whenever I'm hiring somebody. And, uh, before I came to summit, I was, I was, uh, on staff at a very large church and I was responsible for hiring everybody there. Um, and so I've, I've had about, uh, the last 10 years basically of hiring. Uh, and it felt like I'd never stopped both places I've been. I'm always looking for someone. Um, and so there's three key things that I look for and, um, if you look or if you Google it, you're going to find seven of these or whatever. There's a lot. You can make as big a list as you want. For me personally, there's three. The first thing is competency. Uh, if I'm going to hire somebody to, to do a job or to join our team, I want to make sure they're competent. I want to make sure they can do the job. They're, they're able to do the job that I need them to do. Uh, so one of the questions I ask is what have they built? Um, I don't need somebody in our industry in churches. Uh, a lot of churches default to people who are kind or good or whatever. And those are all great. You, you need that. We'll talk about that, but it doesn't matter how good someone is. If they can't do the job you need them to do, then you're going to get stuck. And so for, for me, I always look for competency. Uh, can they do the job we need them to do? What have they built in the past? Um, have they built things or have they inherited things? And to me, there's a big difference. I want to see tangible results. And so that's one of the things I ask, what have you built? What have you actually developed? Uh, because a lot of people they've overseen something. Um, but with what we're doing here at our church, I want to make sure we're bringing people in who understand building culture. Like, Hey, we are developing something. We're starting something from scratch. It's not that just we're going to maintain something, but, but we know how to build it. And so that's one of the questions I ask, um, that helps me have a clue to their competency. Um, 
have they had measurable and repeatable success in their ministry uh, in what they've done? And so that was something I would do even as a headhunter. What have they done? What's measurable? Uh, because that's what I could, when I was a headhunter, I got paid for placing people. And so that's how I would sell this job seeker to the HR manager. Here's what they've built. Here's what they've accomplished. Here's what they've done. So I wanted to see measurable, repeatable success. Um, and when I say repeatable, it's important because sometimes we all have known people who had success in industries or in business or whatever it was. But if you're going to be honest, they probably just got lightning in a bottle. You know, they got lucky. Something happened. You know, the planets came into alignment and they had some success. And so that's why I don't want somebody who's just had success. I want somebody who has had repeatable success, things that they've done that they were responsible for seeing their department grow, their revenue increase, whatever it might be. Um, and something I tell people often is the best indicator of, of future performance is past performance. So if I want to know how somebody's going to behave, how somebody's going to perform, then I need to look at their past performance. I need to look at their past behavior. Um, because if I want somebody who has a certain a certain temperament and I look and this person hasn't had that in their lives, then I shouldn't plan on them suddenly changing when they come to work for us in the future. Um, if I, if I want somebody who's had a certain level of success, uh, then I can't expect them to develop that all of a sudden when they get here, I want to see what, what their past performance has been. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of competency for me. Uh, the second thing is chemistry. Um, do they get along with the people they're going to be working with? And if somebody doesn't, and it's different in every industry, if you're in a sales, in a sales position or you're leading a sales team, maybe they're not going to be collaborating. So maybe it doesn't matter at all if they get along. Maybe they just need to hit their numbers, hit their sales, and that's it. So maybe this isn't as applicable to that situation. But I know for me, um, one of the things I've told people is I believe what we do, and now I'm not trying to solicit uh, Sympathy. I think ministry is one of the hardest things people can do. And I'm not, I have a hard time, like I probably wouldn't say that from stage because we've got people who work in coal mines and people, you know, do stuff like that. But ministry is hard. It's emotionally and spiritually taxing. And if I'm going to do a job like that, I want to do it with people that I love, people that I want to be around. Um, I want to, I want to do that with people that I want to spend time with outside the office. I don't want to do ministry with people that, uh, that I have to, I have to grin and bear it when I'm around them. So I want to be with people that I know have my back and I care for deeply and they care for me. And, uh, and we can talk about this a little in a minute if you guys want to, but the reality is that's challenging in any industry that's challenging to, to hire people that you like and want to spend time with. Because what happens is many times, uh, and I've talked to Michael about this in the past, but many times um, bosses are required to wear hats um, in, in a normal in a normal situation, you're wearing a boss hat and a friend hat. And uh, sometimes you're their boss, sometimes you're their friend. Uh, but most people default to one of those hats. And you've seen bosses who were great friends, but horrible bosses. And you've seen bosses who were, they were bosses, but they, were, they didn't care about your kids. They didn't care about your day. You know, you got a sick kid at school. We don't care. You got to do your job. So they were great bosses, but they were bad friends. Uh, so in the church setting, we, we take that up a notch too, because I feel like I'm wearing a boss hat, a friend hat, and a pastor hat. Because a lot of people who work at churches, um, they don't have a pastor. And so what I try to do is be all those things to our staff if, we can, if I can. And some of that depends on them. Some of it depends on me. But, but can we be mature enough to have that kind of relationship 
and, and move forward. And the staff gets to decide that to some degree or another. So for you guys working in different industries, um, you know, obviously it looks different. The application's different, but I think it's still important to say, man, do they get along with the team? Is this somebody I would want to be around, spend time with? Uh, because if the answer's no, I wouldn't hire them. Um, at the end of the day, if, if they're going to be successful, but you're going to be miserable when you're around them, uh, that's, a, that's a loss, a net loss for me. Uh, and so chemistry is a big thing for us. Uh, third thing is character. Um, will, they, will they do the right thing when nobody's looking? Um, are we going to have to hold their hand to make sure that they're being honest? Are they, are they, are they acting and behaving the way we would expect them to? Again, not just in a church setting, but in any industry, um, character should be something highly valued. And so, and so one of the things we do, um, I actually check references and it's shocking. You know, when I was, um, when I was a headhunter, it was shocking how many people don't check references. They don't even call. Um, and, uh, and that gets people into so much trouble because it, it's hard to know somebody's character if you're hiring somebody off of a uh, resume database. So if you just pull a resume and you're like, man, this resume looks great and you have one conversation with them, uh, they might sound like a rock star. And then you get them on your team and you're like, oh my gosh, this person, you know, they're undercutting the other salespeople. They're, you know, doing all these, uh, un, 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 you know, ungodly things. And then you're stuck with them at this point. Um, and so that's one of the things I do. I'm going to look at somebody's references. I'm going to find out as much about their past as I can. Cause remember what we said, past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Um, and one of the things I've told people is for me, you know, we talked about competency and skill as part of that, but for me in the role I'm in right now, uh, skill is less important than the other three things we just talked about. Um, because I can teach someone skill, but I can't teach someone to be a person of character. So if somebody's not high character, it doesn't matter how skilled they are. I'm not going to hire them. Um, if somebody doesn't get along with our team, I don't care how skilled they are. I'm not going to hire them. Um, you know, and the competency thing, um, again, if they're competent, but maybe they don't have the skills, we can train them for that. Um, you know, we've got a couple of staff that are here on our team that I hired that I would tell you, um, they've got some shortcomings. But and they know it, we've talked about it. But at the end of the day, I, I don't care about the shortcomings as much as as who they are. And we can coach them up on some of the areas that they're they're short on. And I'll just tell you, Pastor Ricky, our youth pastor, I love Pastor Ricky. And when we hired Pastor Ricky, I knew for sure there's some things I'm going to have to work with him on. Um, but what I knew is, man, this guy loves Jesus a lot. Uh, man, he's got high character. Um, I know that he is, he's going to be honoring. I know that, you know, he's going to act the right way. His heart is right. And so if the biggest issue is there's a couple things we need to work on deal, I can work with that. But again, if so, we had somebody who was a dynamic speaker, he was charismatic, great with our students, but we hated his guts in the office because he was arrogant and pompous. And then again, that's a loss. So if for the, for us, you know, these are kind of the things we look for. One of the ways it makes it easier for us to look at their character is because, whew, I got to think. I don't think I've ever, since I've been hiring people here at Summit in my last church, I've never hired someone that I didn't know or that didn't know someone I knew. So if I couldn't, 
if I couldn't vouch for them and go, oh yeah, I've known these people for a long time, then somebody I knew and trusted could say, man, I've known this guy a long time. Uh, and that helps with, with the hiring, uh, just having a better margin of error. Because uh, now we're not guessing. I mean, think about it. If, if those of you that are here in the room or those of you that are listening or watching this later, um, how foolish would it be to marry somebody on the third date? But that's what we do hiring all the time. We'll hire somebody the third interview. Man, you're great. Let's go. You know, you're hired. Um, but, but we never do that in our dating life. We'd think that was crazy. But hiring somebody that quick could get us into trouble um, because we're, we assume we know what's going on. We assume visually by what we see, by what they say, their body language, all those kind of things. Um, and, and I might've mentioned this to, to you guys on leadership night before, um, but the year that I worked with a minor league baseball team, um, <laughs> we were, the name of the team was the Tarrant County Blue Thunder. I was the director of business operations for this team. Now, if this tells you anything about how good a job I did, the team is defunct. They're no longer in business, okay? Um, it wasn't my fault. It was after I left that they, they shut down. But, um, so I oversaw our, our sales staff, um, stadium operations, which sounds much more glamorous than it actually was, uh, promotions, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so at the end of the season, we were going to have a tryout and an open tryout that people could come to. So all the, these former high school baseball players, they could come out and live out their dreams. And the thing is we made them pay to try out for our team because I was the director of business operations and we were broke. We didn't have any money. And it was like, we need some money. So we're going to make these guys pay to try out for the team. And I think we're we were charging them $120 for the tryout. So they'd write us a check for 120 bucks or swipe their credit card and they could try out for our team. And, and we had guaranteed spots. We're going to invite this many people to spring training next year. So man, we had a bunch of guys show up and leading up to that, we were going to do a one day tryout and, uh, it made the most business sense. And I was talking to our manager about it. And uh, if you're a baseball fan, maybe you know, uh, Curtis Wilkerson was our manager. And Curtis played for years in the majors. He played for the Rangers and the Cubs and the Pirates uh, and the Royals. Anyway, so Curtis and I were talking about it. And Curtis said, Mel, we got to have a two-day tryout. And I said, Curtis, if we do a two-day tryout, um, we're going to lose money because we've got to feed them while they're here. We've, we'll probably need to put them up. If they're not local, we'll have to put them in a hotel. You know, so that eats into our profits. We can't do it. And he said, Mel, we have to do it. And I said, okay, why do we have to do it? And he said, because this is the thing. Anybody can fool you for a day. He said, anybody can get lucky and go two for three, you know, hit a ball just right. You know, they, they get lucky on a ball that's hit right to them and they look like an all-star, but really they just got lucky. He said, anybody can fool you for a day, but if you give me two days, I'll be able to pick out the people who can play and who can't. And I've just thought about that through the years. Uh, how many times I've realized in hindsight, man, they fooled me for a day. Somebody that I thought I had them pegged, that I knew how they were, and I can read this person. But at the end of the day, I was like, nope, I was all wrong. I thought I knew who they were, but I did not. And that's the importance of going back and looking at the long picture and, and trying to hire people you know. Because again, if you're going to look for chemistry, you're looking for character, all these things, it's easier if you can go with a known commodity, if at all possible. And I know some industries are different and you just absolutely can't. Um, but for me, that's what I do. A um, couple just general thoughts I'll share with you guys. And these are in no particular order. Um, well, let me try to put them in better order. Um, I've, had, I've talked to a lot of people about internal hiring versus external hiring. Is there a good time? Should you always do internal hiring versus external? And I think every industry is a little different. Every company is a little different. Uh, I know for us, 
early on when I came to Summit, we had to hire externally because we just didn't have a pipeline of, of people to be able to bring on staff in our church or you know anything we had developed. And if we're gonna be really honest, um, uh, it was hard to hire people to come to Indiana, Pennsylvania when I first came. <laughs> Some of you guys obviously live here uh, and I love living here, but if, if I was trying to recruit somebody from Dallas to move here and live and join the staff, a lot of times what would happen is people would look at our website and they'd be like, dang, come on, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. And then we get here and they'd be like, did you know you're an hour and a half from the airport? And we're like, yes, I do, <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, okay, where's the closest target? Well, it's 45 minutes away and okay, all right. You know, these kind of questions. So it was a hard place to recruit to, especially initially. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love people like Todd Stanley so much because Todd came before all this stuff had happened. Um, and so, um, so when do you hire internally? When do you hire externally? Um, I think there's times to do both. Uh, I think an internal hire, um, is good um, when you need someone who understands the culture well. When you have, when you are looking for somebody who gets the culture and gets what you're doing, are gonna and is gonna help maintain that culture. Internal hires make a ton of sense. If there's a season when you're like, man, we need to shift the culture a little bit, we need to do something different, that's a great time to go find somebody externally that's going to help move the culture in a different direction. And so some of it depends on your need. Uh, some of it depends on your ability, too. So, like, as we start Blairsville, you know, one of the reasons we started a residency program at our church was because we were trying to raise up future staff. And that's our goal is that we're raising up people, we're pouring into them, allowing them to develop, develop their gifts. But this is maybe a pool for us to pull from for future staff as well. Because if we can hire internally, it makes it so much easier. If it's hard to recruit to Indiana, Pennsylvania, um, it's really hard to recruit to Blairsville, Pennsylvania, okay? So when you ask, where's Blairsville? Oh, it's a suburb of Indiana. You know it's small, right? Um, and so as we talked to different people about, hey, would you come help? Would you be interested? A lot of people are like, no, thank you. Uh, and so that's why it's even more important for us to raise up people inside that know our culture, that love our culture, and that are part of this area. So it makes it easier for us to plant people who are already local. So that's where I would go internal versus external uh, most of the time, but it just kind of depends. Um, I would tell you this, a bad internal hire is always better than a bad external hire. And I say always, at least from the bottom line perspective. Because from my perspective, if I'm hiring somebody externally, it probably means I'm moving them here. So I'm going to pay to move them. Um, there's relocation costs. There's onboarding costs. All the things you have to do. You buy them a computer, equipment, all those kind of things. Um, and the reality is if there's somebody that's internal that we could say, hey, we're going to add you part time. You get a feel for it, that kind of thing. And so for us... It kind of depends on what we're wanting to do and how we're doing it, but internal hires tend to be lower risk for us than external hires. Um, and I would say this too, only promote internally if they can actually do the job. I, I've seen people and churches and businesses that have promoted internally just because it was cheaper and easier than bringing in somebody in from outside. But the problem is then they get stuck. Um, and I'll give you an example. And, and if you're in a sales environment, you've probably seen this. Because uh, even though I was a headhunter, it was, it was a sales environment. Was, I mean, that's really what it was. We we're trying to place people and generate revenue. And so at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, and so in a sales environment, what happens many times is uh, a salesperson is killing it. I mean, they're destroying it. They're hitting their numbers every month. They're doing great. And somebody over them goes, man, they do so well. We need to promote them. And they move them into a manager's position. And they're a terrible manager 
but they were a great salesperson. And so what happens is now it hurts the organization. Now it hurts the teams because they were used to having a sales manager, I mean, a sales person mentality, go, go, go. I eat what I kill, that kind of thing. And now they're put in a position where they're supposed to manage a team and lead a team and they're looking out for them. And it's a totally different animal. So what happens is sometimes they promote from within, they bring in the sales manager and go, okay, show them what you were doing. And it just doesn't work. And so then you've got a whole group of people that are, that are in a mess. And so I would caution you against promoting internally just because it's the cheap, safe option. Because sometimes it's, it's still not a good option. Um, let me think. So we're going to go kind of scattershot here just so you know. Um, one of the things I tell churches all the time is don't buy staff. Um, one of the reasons I could get Todd to Stanley to move here to be our worship pastor, he was at a bigger church making more money. He took a significant pay cut to come here um, was because I cast big vision. So I just told him, here's what I think we're going to be doing. Here's where I think we're going to be going. And I want you to come with me. And I cast such a compelling vision for him. I, I say all the time that I tricked him into moving here, but I tricked him into moving from Kansas City to Indiana, Pennsylvania, because he wanted to be a part of something. Um, we didn't have the money to outbid his church. We couldn't have paid him more money, but what we had was vision. We had plenty of that. Um, and so Pastor Ricky is the same way. Ricky came to us from a much larger church in, um, in, in Deltona, Florida. He was north of Daytona. He moved from Daytona Beach to Western Pennsylvania, people. If that doesn't tell you that I know how to trick people, then nothing does, right? So, so again, what happened? Well, I, I cast a compelling vision. Here's where we're going. I want you to be a part of it. Here's your place. Here's what I see you doing. Um, but what happens a lot of times is churches get to a place, and I think organizations do too, where the vision begins to lag. Um, maybe, and let me give you a specific situation. I was talking to a church probably a year ago. Um, and they had stalled. They had, um, their, their growth had capped out a long time ago. Um, they were still a large church, but they had stopped growing. Their pastor had been there a long time. And so they asked me to just take a look at some stuff. So I, I was looking through some things and I saw, I asked to look at their finances. So I looked at their finances and they've got all their buildings paid off. Like I said, it's a big church. All their buildings are paid off. And I looked at their expenses for their annual expenses and over 70% of their income went to staff, which I, I want you to hear me. I want to pay our staff well. I want to take care of our staff. But, but I saw that and I knew their church is in decline and I knew their pastor had been there too long. Um, and so I, I, I asked like, hey, tell me about this. And they just started explaining, well, here's why. And we've had these people stayed. And, and what happened is um, the vision stopped being compelling a long time ago. And in order to get staff, vision wasn't going to do it. So they had to go buy staff. They had to go, hey, why don't you come on staff? We can pay you this much. And it makes a lot of sense, right? We all have to pay our bills. Um, and so they would do that. The problem is there would be turnover because if somebody comes to your organization because of what you can pay them, they will leave your organization because of what, you can, what somebody else can pay them. And so if the vision isn't compelling, it doesn't matter what you're paying them, they're not going to stick around. And so this is where I would tell you, um, don't buy staff. Um, yeah, um, I, I put in my notes, people will join you and leave for money. Uh, they will join you and leave you for money, but people will join you and stay for vision. Uh, and so, so that's why I would say no matter what you are leading, if it's a department, if it's a 
you know, a whole organization, whatever it is, make sure there's a compelling vision to, uh, to attract people and then ultimately to keep them as well. Um, if you've been around hiring situations, you've heard people say hire, hire slowly, fire quickly. Um, I've told people the best way to fire someone is to never hire them in the first place. And that's why you take your time. That's why you get to know their background. That's why you get to know, you know, you don't get married on the third day. You take your time in that process, uh, so that, you hire slowly, and then the minute, I tell people, the minute you know somebody doesn't belong in your team, you probably need to terminate them. Now, it's harder in church situations because it's very complicated. It's, it's way more than just they're not doing their job or whatever it might be. Uh, there's other things involved, and so it makes it a little messier. But in most organizations, the second you know somebody's not a fit, the second you go, I shouldn't have hired them, or oh, so they really don't need to be part of our team, that's the best time to do it. Because all that's going to happen is you're going to delay it, you're going to justify it and go, well, we'll give them another chance. Well, maybe it'll get better. And it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse, nine times out of 10. So that's where I would encourage you. If you know somebody needs to be fired, don't beat around the bush, do it quickly. Um, so like I said, the best way to fire somebody though is never to hire them in the first place. If you hate having the firing conversation, then do a better job on the front end with the hiring conversation. And every, every time I've had to fire someone, I felt like it was a failure on my part. There was things I needed to do differently. I should have coached them better, whatever it was. So, um, so the last thing I would mention to you is this, um, always, and I say this in all caps and it's in the, like this in the notes, always be looking to add to your team. Um, I don't care if you don't have any open available positions, always be looking for someone you can add to your team. Um, I told the board when I first came to Summit, I said, um, my philosophy is I wanna hire good people the second I have a chance to. I don't wanna, I don't, I'm not gonna hire based on need, I mean, sometimes you have to, but, but I want to hire based on available talent. So if I've got somebody available who's high capacity, who's a good fit, character, competency, all those things, I want to put them on staff. We'll find a position to put them on staff because it's that important to get the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins says. Get them on the bus and we'll find the right seats. We'll, we'll help them find the role for them if we get good people on the team. So um, one of our probably most popular staff is Steph McCoy. She's our missions and outreach pastor. And Steph McCoy was an IEP student locally, you know, coming to church here, loved Jesus. And I won't tell you the whole story. It's a cool story though. And um, she, she felt called to ministry, but she couldn't really identify that. And I said, why don't you, why don't you come on? We'll just make you an admin. Why don't you come on and answer phones for us? She was like, really? Yeah. So that was a way for us to test her out a little bit and let her stretch her legs and see if she liked working at a church. And honestly, um, we weren't looking to hire a, a, a missions pastor, but I knew that's what she was going to be for us if she came on staff because I didn't want to pass her up. I felt like she was going to be that valuable an asset for us that I said, we have to figure out a way to put her on staff. And so I, I think that's been a win for us to have that mentality and say, we're going to hire good people every time we have a chance, even if we don't have the need. Um, because if you only hire for need, um, you're going to be stuck with less than desirable candidates a lot of times. But if you're hiring great people when you can find them, it's going to, it's going to give you a deeper bench and a, a richer talent pool for your organization. Um, and the reality is, I mean, I, I talked about hiring internally earlier, but if we only hire when the need is there, then we're going to be stifled to some degree. Um, and if we, that internal hire, when we settle for that sometimes, uh, what happens is, 
I want to be careful how I say this. Sometimes the excellence level is a little lower and that's always going to be the cap for your organization. Um, so I, I want to go high upside people that maybe they're not going to work out, but maybe they will. Maybe they'll only be going to be with us a couple of years, but those two years are going to be great. They're going to help the organization and that kind of thing. So uh, always be looking. Um, I am a person that I'm always trying to hire people from better organizations than ours. So I would rather hear a hundred no's than a hundred yeses. Because if I hear a hundred no's, that means I'm, I'm going after the right kind of people. I'm going after people who are at bigger organizations, who have more influence, who are making better money, all those kind of things. Um, my dad used to say, um, if you shoot for the stars, you may hit the moon, but if you aim for the ditch, you'll hit it every time. And so for me, I want to, I want to aim for the stars. I want to shoot for people that I shouldn't be shooting for, you know, like whoever it is, Ricky or, um, or Todd or, you know, pastor Steve, who was our executive pastor for a few years. Um, he led some, uh, you know, exec pastor at some huge churches and he was a gift to us. And he was here for, um, two and a half, three years but it was awesome because he helped us get in this building. He, he helped do what we needed him to do for that time. And he wasn't here a long time, but he, he helped us move the ball down the field. So that's where I would say always, always, always be recruiting. Always be looking for your next staff member, your next leader, whatever it might be. Um, because they're out there and the talent is there uh, if you're willing to go look for it and mine it and find it. So let me see. Did I skip anything? Yeah, I think I hit the high notes. So... At this point, just want to turn it over to you guys and let's talk a little bit. Let's ask questions. Let's kick some things around. If there's things that you heard that you're like, I don't know about that. I would love to discuss that with you. Or if there's something you go, hey, expand on that or whatever it is. Let's just walk this out a little bit. So thoughts, ideas, feedback. Yeah, Christy. Yeah. Okay. And just for the sake of the recording, I want to make sure I repeat that. So basically you're saying, Hey, I want to make sure, uh, I want some tips for how to compellingly share a vision with, with people I'm trying to recruit. Um, I think one of the things whenever I'm, whenever I'm talking to a potential hire, I want to hear their story. What's going on? What do you love? What do you, what are you frustrated with? And a lot of times those things will give me clues and I never lie. I'm never, ever going to go like, Oh, they want a seat at the table. So I'll tell them they can have a seat at the table. So if I can't actually offer it, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to propose it, but, but that's going to give me clues on what they care about. And so those are the things I go, man, you know what? You feel like you're overlooked in your current role. You know, you're at a big church, you're a great salary, but you feel like you don't have any influence on what's going on, man. I, I would see your role with us as influential. I would see you having a seat at the table, being able to speak into what's going on. And so that would be part of it. I think you've got to really understand what your organization is trying to accomplish. And I think the clearer you can be on that, the better it is. Um, but, but I think as far as the individual goes, I would really want to know their story and what's going on. Uh, cause we've had staff that, um, well, in all reality, we've had former staff that they think this was hell on earth being on staff here, but, but we've got staff right now that this is their dream come true. And so part of that is based on their current situation, you know, hearing the things that they're frustrated with or the things that bother them going, well, Hey, if we change that, is that a good fit here? And so like, honestly, pastor Ricky, when he came here, the fact that he wasn't on call 24 hours was a huge deal for them. You know, that he, I'm not going to call him on Friday night at seven o'clock and go, Hey, come to the church. I need you to do, you know? And so sometimes something as simple as that just clearly 
communicating expectations or differences is going to be a big win too. Does that make sense? Yeah, good question. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, uh, so you were just asking, you know, or you were saying that you noticed that in our environment, we've got a lot of high performers and sometimes they don't ask for help. Um, and, and did I notice any other quirks? I would say, um, I believe that the reason they don't ask for help for the most part is, is not based on competition or I think in some environments I've been in, I've seen that where it was like, nope, I don't want to seem vulnerable because it was dog eat dog and cutthroat and that kind of thing. Um, I honestly believe that comes more from just the internal pressure of, I want to perform, I want to do my best, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and with that, I would say one of the things that we have to deal with sometimes is insecurities because we all, every human being I've ever met has insecurities. If, if somebody doesn't, I would love for them to write a book about their lack of insecurities and how they do it. Uh, but we all have them. And what happens in environments where you value um, not just faithfulness, because we do value faithfulness, but you also value outcomes, is that sometimes maybe if, if you are, if have some insecurity regarding your outcomes, that, that just becomes more glaring sometimes, you know? And it's not that I'm going, hey, this person's winning and, you know, you're not, but it's like they might feel that themselves. So I've had to have some of those kind of conversations with some of our staff and just reassure them and, hey, your role looks different and, you know, walk them through that. So I think... In environments like ours, you have some of that, but that comes back to how do we pastor and how do we lead and, and those kind of things. As, as far as asking for help, um, a lot, some of our staff are, are more singularly focused than others. Some of our staff, they, they see the broad big picture really, really well. And they're the ones that are more likely to go to staff, other staff members and go, hey, what do you have going on with? How can I help with that? And so we have some that are really good at that. And then we have some that are just really singularly focused and they don't see outside their lane. And so I think part of all that contributes to it. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question, Michael? Okay. Good. Good question. Yeah. You mentioned finding people that fit. Uh, how much of that do you think is part of the selection process? And how much of that is building the culture and building the onboarding process you're bringing you could have the best person you hire, and then six months later, you know, because they weren't onboarded the right way or brought yeah. in the right way, they fizzle out and leave. Okay. Um, so just to get them to restate your question, um, how much of fit is uh, the recruiting and how much of it is the onboarding process? Is that basically? The organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about culture, building healthy cultures, and... Um, and, and every hiring manager I've ever known, they will have misses. So it doesn't matter how good you are at identifying talent and going through the thing, you're still gonna have people who just for whatever reason don't fit or whatever it might be. So there's no foolproof way of doing that. I think culture is, 
gosh, I think it's really both, honestly. I think you recruit well, but I think your culture helps you in that because if your culture is healthy, the people you're recruiting are gonna see that before they're even on, on board and they're gonna be attracted to that or they're gonna be threatened by that um, because I, I, I'm a firm believer that healthy culture drives out unhealthy people and unhealthy culture drives out healthy people. And so if you've got a healthy culture and you've got good practices for onboarding and recruiting, then it's just gonna make it that much better and that much, I, th I think you're, you're gonna have fewer errors in a situation like that. Um, I think we have misses whenever we have a false idea of how good our culture is. Like we think it's really healthy, but really it's not. We onboard somebody and they're there for six months and they're like, this place is a joke, you know, they're out. So I think, I think it's both, if, if that makes sense. I'm sorry to dodge your question. <laughs> it's a good question though. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, well, in, in high performers, high capacity leaders, they see that. And, um, and if, if your onboarding process is bad, I mean, if they're, if they're at the organization for a week and they've got no clue what they're supposed to be doing, then we've done a bad job of onboarding them. You know, if we haven't set good expectations, you know, if they still don't have any idea what they're supposed to be doing, you know, then that's, that's the organization's fault. But high capacity people see that and they're gonna take note of that. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, you going to say something? Yeah. I mean, you know, I said at the beginning uh, that I thought we would end up talking more about the recruiting process. But I mean, I, I think keeping people kind of goes back to some of the things we've talked about in the last few months as, as far as developing culture and those kind of things. Um, you know, I mentioned the vision portion of it. Um, if you don't have and maintain a compelling vision, then high capacity people aren't gonna stick around because uh, they wanna be part of something. And so if all you're doing is maintaining, um, you know, you're just building more widgets, it's hard, it's hard to keep those high capacity people fully engaged. And so I think it's lots of different things. Uh, one of the things I believe is important uh, for high capacity leaders is, um, you know, I think sometimes organizations are guilty of giving responsibility without authority. And that's, that's hard for just about anybody, but if you're a high capacity leader and you're given responsibility but no authority, uh, you will not stick around for that. And so I think, I think it's important to not just delegate tasks to people, but to give them authority to actually do some things, even if it might hurt, hurt you in the short run. It'll ultimately be better in the long run because they're gonna feel empowered. Uh, I think that's something that's really important. I think inviting people, you know, I mentioned this earlier, inviting people to the table, allowing them to have a say in some of the things that are going on. Um, you know, just, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, uh, in my office, we've invited all of our staff can come and sit in my office and we're going to talk through all of our sermon series for 2021. And I'm going to, they're all out on my big white marker board in my office and we're going to go through them systematically. Here's what my idea is. What do you guys think about this? And it doesn't matter if you're the janitor, if you're the secretary, no matter what your role is, you get to speak into this. And I, I one of our admin team, um, she came to me uh, yesterday and she said, I'm so disappointed that I can't be there for that. I've got a doctor appointment and I've got to go to, but man, I wish I could be there because she loves being a part of that. And she, it, it makes her feel valuable. Mel cares about my input on something as important as what are we preaching? And you know, what are we talking about from stage? 
Um, and so, you know, we just go through that together. And honestly, I think I told Pat today, there have been times that I'll have an idea about something. And by the time we're done with it, it's gone through so much of a metamorphosis. It doesn't even look like it did before. And now it's so much better because I got input from the team and from people who normally are not going to speak into what I'm preaching on the weekend, but they got to help shape and mold you know, that sermon series. So I think there's ways we can do that if we're looking for it. And I think those are some of the things that help keep people engaged and keep people, you know, uh, you know, keep people around. So Owen is very excited about this one. (laughs) Well, he, he saw us and he's like, I like that guy. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I haven't read it. So basically, uh, he unpacks a lot of research about motivation and what motivates people in a business setting to continue. He, he says three things autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And, and I think mm-hmm. you hit two of those. One of those autonomy, like giving them the authority mm-hmm. to let them be free to kind of choose their, their path and have decision making ability. And then purpose, which is in some ways built into the church setting, but yeah. the larger vision helps. And then mastery is giving them that ability to continually refine. Yeah what they're doing and, and kind of show progress toward really mastery. No, that's because good. Why musicians, even if they're not getting paid, continue to practice. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they seek mastery even when it's not compensated. So the, the book, you, it's Drive by who? Dan Payne. Dan Payne? Pink. Yeah, Pink. Yeah, yeah. Drive by Daniel Pink. Okay. Yeah, good, good. yeah, good reference. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So do you prefer to hire someone who's masterful in one area or somebody who's competent in many areas? Uh it depends. Um I mean, we've got some staff that I would say are specialists, and then we've got some staff that are generalists. And, um, and so some of them even flow in and out of both those things. There's times that I ask some of our staff to be generalists, but so it, it just kind of depends. Uh, I've even had some times where I, I asked somebody to be a generalist, Hey, I need you to do multiple things. And I realized it was probably not good for them or the organization. It was better for them to focus on one role or one task or whatever it is. So I think it kind of depends on the person. Um, but I mean, man, if I can, if, if I could have somebody that is a master of one thing, that's a win. You know, if they're high capacity at one thing and low at some others, I can overlook some of their low things and make sure I'm putting them in the right seat so that they can, they can win in that area for the most part. And, and some organizations can't. I mean, there's a lot of churches that are much smaller. It's like, we got three staff, so you've got to do everything if you're here. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the challenge. And even for us, as we raise up leaders in our church, uh, we, we want to continually give them the understanding that like, man, you, if you go on staff at a church, you might be asked to be the youth pastor and the media pastor and the janitor and you know, all these things. But yeah, for us, I think if I had to pick one of those, I'd probably pick somebody who's a master at one skill set, probably. Yeah. Good question. Bob, we'll go. We've, we've defaulted to Christy a couple. We'll go to Bob first, back to Christy. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the firing process. Uh, so for us specifically, what it looks like. Just in general for you, unless you're yeah. A whole session on 
No, I mean, maybe, but uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys don't need that. But um, so for us, if there's somebody we've got to lay off, you know, in our setting, it's um, there are some things that are that are fireable offenses. You know, if somebody has a, a moral failure that's discovered, I've told our staff, if you confess something, we're going to work to restore you. If something's discovered, you're probably going to be punished. You're probably going to be terminated for it, you know, if it's big enough. So if it's something like that, then it's going to be, you know, somebody stealing from the church or somebody, you know, cheats on their wife and, you know, something like that, then there's an excellent chance we're going to have to fire them. We're going to have to terminate them. So that's probably going to be pretty quick. You know, we're going to try to handle it with as much honesty and honor as we can publicly, you know, and again, our setting is different. If you're in a sales environment and nobody gives a rip about this guy, then it's easy to go. Yeah. He was stealing from the, he was stealing from the company. Oh my gosh. You know, that kind of thing. But here we try to be honest and honoring. Um, we don't want to lie to anybody because if you do and they find out they're going to, it's going to undermine your credibility. So we try to be as honest as we can while we can still be honoring of that person. Um, and, um, you know, we try to give, uh, my last church, uh, be careful how specific I want to be with my last church. We had a very, we had a situation where I had all the grounds in the world to terminate this person, like ironclad. They had done some crazy, terrible things at our church in our building. And, uh, and I, we still gave them, you know, I, I terminated him, but we gave him a great severance package, even though he didn't deserve it, you know, based on what he had done, because I always feel like I would want to, I want to over honor the people. I want to honor them more than they deserve. And I feel like there's something honoring to God in that. So, you know, um, we typically will always do more than is required, um, in situations like that. And we've had, let me think, Um, I guess, I think since we've been here, I've only terminated one person. Uh, there's been a couple of like mutual separations where it was like, I don't know if this is working out. Yeah, it's not. It was like, okay, you know, um, but yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Uh, and the person, honestly, they get, and I tell people this, you get to determine what this looks like moving forward. So we have a separation agreement so that we get to walk through, Hey, here's when you need to turn in your keys. And here's, and that we do that for anybody. Even if they quit, we still give that to them and go, Hey, let's make sure we're on the same page. When are you going to turn in your keys? When are you turn it in your computer? You know, w what would you like us to communicate? What is it? So let's agree on what we're communicating so that later we don't have somebody go, well, they said, and we go, wait a second, you know, that kind of thing. So so that's good for the organization. I think that's healthy no matter what organization you're in to have something like that. Um, so generally speaking, that's kind of what we do. Is that in writing? Yep, it's in writing. So we lay it out and we talk about it and you know they have to sign off, we have to sign off. And this sounds horrible to say it this way, but honestly, if there's a separation like that and there's severance involved, um, we will tell them your severance is, is dependent on you fulfilling this agreement. Uh, because we're never hi hiding anything. Like we'll be as honest as you, as you would like. Um, but I don't think you want us to be as honest as, as we could be. Does that make sense? Like in a situation where they did something and had to be terminated. So they get to decide how much is spread. But a lot of times we'll end up hearing somebody, well, they said that, come on now. So that's one of the reasons too, we just try to over honor. It's like, well, we'll, we'll give you more than we talked about. We'll honor more than we talked about. And so does that make sense? So yeah, that's kind of what it looks like here. And again, it's different in every, every context is going to look a little different. So yeah, Christy, did you have a question? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about his, um, whenever you have a salesperson, 
Yeah. No, that's a good question. Uh, so she, she was just asking, how do you, if you promote somebody who doesn't work, how do you demote them without crushing them, basically? Um, here's the thing. Most of the time they know they're not doing very good. Um, they're not dumb or they wouldn't be in that position. And so I've had the conversation with people where I'll go to them, hey, how do you feel like you're doing? How do you feel like the fit is in this role? And man, a lot of times it's amazing how they'll go, man, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I like this, but man, I'm having a hard time. And that just gives you an opportunity. Yeah, I've noticed that. And man, I, I, I felt like you really thrived in this role and maybe you're just miscast. And so that's where if you're gonna do something like that, I would never make it about you failed, you, you know, you were supposed to do this and you only did this, but I would always come back to, um, if, if I can take some of the blame for that, cause honestly, sometimes it is my fault. If I promoted somebody and went, Oh man, I missed it. That's where I'm going to take some of the blame and go, you know what? I put you in a position and you probably haven't as, had as much success as you would like. And some of that's my fault. So, you know what, here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to put you back in this role. And if there's a pay change, uh, like for us, what we may do is go, Hey, you got to, you know, you got a promotion in salary whenever we moved you in this role. And, and so we're going to move you into this role and you know, your salary is going to have to be commiserate with that. But what we're going to do is taper your salary down. So instead of just saying, Hey, you're going back, we want to take care of you and we want to make sure it isn't painful. So we're going to taper it down over three months or whatever the number might be. You know, if you can do some things like that, that'll soften the blow to help them see like, okay, they do care about me and they're not just trying to get me out of the role or the job or whatever it is. Um, so if you can, if you can own some of that, it makes it, it makes it easier for them where it doesn't just feel like you suck, you know? So I don't know if I can say you suck on this, but I just did twice. So <laughs> any other questions? Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the bigger our staff gets, the easier it is to staff that way is to go, Hey, who do you know that is a youth pastor? Who do you know that is a kid's pastor? And, um, I mean that literally all of our staff, well, I take it back. Christina Butterworth, our kid's pastor, she came through a headhunter. Uh, so she came through a headhunter. Every one of the rest of our staff though came because either I knew them indirectly or, or I knew somebody who knew them, who vouched for them. I'm like, man, you need to hire these guys. So yeah, I think, and, and now we can do that more where I go, hey, tell me about, or who do you know that? And so yeah, that's great. Yeah, the bigger, the, the funnel's, funnel's bigger that way. So yeah, yeah, that's good. We'll go to eight, but we don't have to if you guys are done. So, Michael. Um, so, I think it's a good idea for high performers to feel a sense of ownership of like, their ideas in their area because then they'll be invested in the work perform more. Yeah. Um, so, what are some ways that you are able to encourage that ownership, that sense of ownership, but, but also prevent them from breaking too far off away from the main vision? Oh, man. So, how do you promote... Um, yeah, how, how do you promote the independence but still maintain a strong vision? I think this is something that leaders struggle with. It's a daily tension. And I think that's something that regularly 
I'm having to go back and like tap people back into line or go, okay, you know what? We probably went too far there. Let's, let's move this back over here. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just not, it's, that's not really who we are. So, um, so I think leaders have to do that all the time. I don't think it's something you do, you set, and then you walk away from. I think it's something that you have to pay constant attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, it's the old thing about if you're one degree out of alignment right now, it doesn't matter, but a hundred miles from now you're way off course. And so, yeah, if you're not constantly paying attention to that, uh, mindful of that, then yeah, you're going to be in trouble. And, and again, that's departmentally, that's, you know, all the way from micro to the macro, it's the whole thing. Um, so yeah, good question. Yeah. As far as the purpose part goes? The, the vision to get people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you said you still thought about where did that come from? Did you, did you start with a good ad, you know, kind of, or did you um, Well, in like the setting we're in now, yeah, it's just, I think you naturally line relationally with people who have similar visions or similar, you know, that kind of thing. And so some of it is a little bit natural, um, but some of it comes with, you know, to me, some of it comes with the discernment of what have you done in the past? That's going to give you clues to what really is in their heart and what they're really about and what really drives them. Um, you know, and so I think even some of that stuff can inform you of, okay, what's this person, what is their vision really? What is their purpose really, you know, in life? But I think, yeah, it's, it's all of it. It's job description. It's the conversations. It's, you know, it's like peeling the onion. You're peeling layers away, layers away, layers away till you get to the stinky center. So... <laughs> so I think that's what it's, I mean, I think it's through the whole process, but, but yeah, I think, uh, I want to be oozing that vision. I want it to be so clear, you know, throughout the whole process that if, if it's a miss, it's because they missed it. It wasn't because I undersold it or undershared it or anything like that. But yeah, as far as, as, as far as that goes, I let them determine some of that, like, Hey, are you a good fit? And then based on what I've seen and all that kind of stuff, it helps me determine, okay, yeah, you know, they are in alignment with us or whatever it might be. But I don't know, did that answer your question or did I just say a bunch of fancy words? Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, man, I think for us, even when somebody checks out our website, you know, when they're, when they're doing their investigation, you know, they're, they're going to see that stuff. They're going to see what we're about, you know, how we function, all those kind of things. So some of those people are going to self-select out when they go, eh, you know what? Like, I don't like the style. I don't like the, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I think if somebody is getting to the process, we're really talking about a job, they probably have a really good idea where we're at. And we probably have a really good idea where they're at just based on all that stuff together. So, yeah. I think it's an Right. In the beginning, defining that, and you know, I think everybody comes up with a mission statement that sounds good, or sometimes <laughs> maybe or maybe they don't live yeah. them or use them. But when, when your organization starts to embody them, yeah, it becomes ultra clear to those candidates that this is what they're all about. So yeah, you know, I think a lot of folks that I've kind of consulted with, you got to step them back a little bit, mm -hmm. take some time to define your mission before you start yeah. to get people on the bus. 
if you don't have a direction for that bus, you're mm-hmm. going to go on there and drive it in circles, they're, they're going to get back off. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. And, and kind of as a side note, I've interviewed people um, that when we got to, like, we just talked, and at the end of the conversation, I'd go, and usually it's a first conversation or second. I'll say, hey, do um, you have any questions for me? And it is a huge, gigantic red flag if they go, no, I think we're good. Do you don't have questions about our vision or values or anything? No, I don't think so. It's like, all right. And, you know, I've even had candidates say things like, uh, well, I, you know, I didn't, well, what are your values? It's like, well, bro, you should have looked at our website before we had this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, I think those kind of things are huge, like, whether this is right or wrong, like that person is automatically disqualified. You know, if they don't have a good question, I'm probably not, I'm probably not moving forward because the kind of person I want is going to be so acquainted with everything moving forward. You know, like they're going to be educated on that stuff. And so again, I think part of that goes back to the vision portion and understanding how they're going to interact with that and all that. So anyway, sorry about that. Just monologue. Did one of you guys have your hand raised? Yeah. yeah I was going to ask, like you spoke a lot about casting vision. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a great question. How do you how, how do you develop the vision? Basically, yeah. uh, I mean, some organizations, and I keep defaulting to sales, but like a sales organization, they can say whatever they want. At the end of the day, their vision is we want more money. Like we want more money at the end of the day than we had at the beginning of the day. You know what I mean? Like. And so they might have something fancy written, but for, I think every church is kind of the same way though. No matter who your, what your church is, if your vision doesn't involve seeing people's lives changed, like, you know, it's probably not the biblical vision. And so, um, so part of it just comes back to, okay, I, I've got to be about my father's business. You know, what was the heart of Christ? And you know, that's, that's what it kind of comes back to for us. Like, okay, Christ was all about seeing people's lives transformed. So part of it was like, yeah, we prayed about it. But part of it was like, yeah, we don't need to pray about it a whole lot. You know what I mean? Um, like we can, we can make this real complicated if we want to, but at the end of the day, Jesus was about seeing people's lives transformed. So I think that's kind of what we defaulted to. And as the specific wording came about in a certain way that we felt like fit our context, but, um, but yeah, when it came to the, the heart of it, it was like, okay, this is pretty simple for us, you know? So sorry if that wasn't a very dynamic answer. So uh, it's eight o'clock. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close our time together. And, uh, and then, sorry for those of you that are listening or watching online. Uh, we're going to stick around here in the room for a few minutes. And if some of you have more questions or you guys just want to talk or whatever, feel free. So let me uh, close our time in prayer and then we'll uh, finish up. Lord, thanks so much. Thank you for these leaders that are here in the room. Thank you for those that are watching and listening to this. I just pray a blessing on them. Lord, I pray that uh, there would be something that we'd be able to apply to ourselves from our talk tonight that would uh, help us grow our leadership, help us to grow uh, our ability to recruit the right kind of leaders, see the right kind of leaders, um, promote the right kind of leaders. And God, I pray that you would help us do that in a way that brings glory to you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, God bless you. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight and pray that you have a great week.